Welcome to Eagle Eye Perspectives Podcast. This is Brian Eichelberger. Today is March 24th, 2019. This is uh, episode four on a series that I've been doing called The New Epic, where I've talked about an old season dying away and we're coming into a new era, a new epic. And, um, and so I've been walking us through what that looks like and some of the things that the Lord has been talking about prophetically and giving some understanding of what's coming into this new season. In episode three, I talked about the Lord's inheritance for the nations. And I went back to a prophetic vision that I had that was reminiscent of Babel and how men are building towards God and, and how at that point in time in the scriptures, if you look at Babel, God uh, separated the uh, people into many different nations. Actually, if you go through and look at Genesis chapter 10, they are separated into 70 nations at that point in time. And he, there were at that point in time, he disinherited the nations and lesser gods were put in charge or were giving rule over those nations. Those lesser gods were fallen angels, um, deities. These were sons or sons of God that were angelic. Uh, they were watcher angels. These were living beings in the heavenly realm. And they had rebelled against God and had, had joined the place of the serpent, so to speak. And they were ruling over the nations. But God said that Israel was going to be his son. He says so in Exodus chapter 4. And he claims Israel as a nation and that he would be the God over Israel. And you begin to see the battle throughout time of all of these other nations being ruled by the, what we would call in the New Testament principalities, powers, and world rulers. But in the end, when Christ comes again, he's going to separate, separate the sheep and the goat nations. And all things are going to be restored. Even the nations will become the inheritance of God through Christ Jesus. So that which was lost in the garden in Eden will be restored at the end. And we're coming into a time where right now the nations are lost. The nations are under the rule of the spirit of the Antichrist and these other gods that they are serving, which are demonic. They are a part of the rebellious nature that rose up against God and are presently over and in the rule over our nations. But the sons of God, the overcomers, will rise up and we will begin to do battle. And uh, these, these principalities and powers and demons will be cast down. And in the end, the nations will be given to Christ as his inheritance. But it's going to be dependent on the bride in those regions and in those nations who rise up and overthrow and cast off the shackles that these um these gates of hell have had over the nations. And so we're going to be doing it through the person of God, the presence of Christ, his very presence, his very being, and in the power of God. So we're going to taste the good word of God and the power of the age to come. And so you may want to go back and listen to part three if you haven't listened to it. Um, so you can get a backdrop as I come into part four. One of the things that I talked about was that we're in a time where we're going through a civil war in our nation, but there's also a revolutionary war that is to come. The civil war is about slavery. It's being enslaved to these powers and principalities, but there's a revolution that comes that helps to not just to liberate us, but to give us victory, a conquest. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The sons of liberty begin to emerge out of the revolution. And uh, this is where they begin to take the nation back for Christ. So 
we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I wanted to start, um, I'm sorry, let me go back for one second. Where I ended last time was that, as we have seen um, throughout the course of uh, history, there's been other great awakenings. Um, there's been a revolution in our nation and a civil war, but prior to the revelation, what you've seen sandwiched between the revolution and the civil war has been great awakenings. So there was a great awakening in Europe. And then we had the Revolutionary War here in America. And then after the Revolutionary War in America, we had another great awakening, but it was here in America. It took place in the western part of the state of New York. Charles Finney, I believe, was one of the leaders of that. And then when that kind of died out and that, that outpouring of the spirit of that second great awakening, then there came um, a civil war about 15 to 20 years after that. And so what I've been prophesying is that we're in a civil war slash revolution now in America and it's going to intensify. But what we're also going to see is the third great awakening or what I've been calling a Pentecost. We're going to visit. We're going to have, I'm prophesying to you, we're going to have another Pentecost. And that's what I want to share today is about this Pentecost that's going to come as a part of this new epic. And we're going to see today how this Pentecost is going to empower the body of Christ with the person of God and the power of Christ so that um, the, the gates of hell begin to be judged. So before I get into that, I want to go back one second. There was a revelation that I, I, I failed to, to share last time that I felt was important. Over the last year to two years, I've been seeing the number 555 often. And I feel this might be important for some of you. Some of you out there might have been seeing this. I've been seeing it whether I've been on the treadmill running. I just happen to look down 555 or if I'm driving somewhere, it's 555. If I get up early in the morning and I'm moving about, I look at the clock, it's 555. Um, this has been going on. So it's, it's happening on a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis for, like I said, for about the last year and a half to maybe two years. And I felt like the Lord told me it was Isaiah 55.5. Isaiah 55.5 says this, Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. We're back to the nations again. You will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Now, of course, he was speaking to the nation of Israel. <clears throat> but I think there's a application here to the body of Christ as well. I, I just believe that there are nations right now who do not know the Lord. I believe our nation does not know the Lord. But he says, a nation you will call. There will be a call. There will be a sound. The word of the Lord will go forth out of the sons of God. And it will call a nation which does not know him. Nations will begin to run towards God when they hear the call. They hear the sound of a son. All right. The sound or the language of a son coming out of the sons of God. Because it says here in verse 5, for he has glorified you. And we know that the glory of the Lord is going to come into the sons of God. If you go back and look at John 1 verse 2, Jesus said, glorify your son for your son glorifies you. <clears throat> so the father glorified the son, the son glorified the father. But I also believe that's true for the sons of God. For all of creation's waiting for the glory of the Lord revealed through the sons. I mentioned that before in a previous podcast of how it went into the heaven and was given a deed. Well, the Lord gave me the promise of Romans 8, 18 and 8, 19. I had a key that opened up the locker to that deed. I believe that we have a promise from the Lord that we're going to see in our time. The glory of the Lord revealed through the sons. 
And so what the nations are waiting to see this glory revealed through the sons of God. And the sons of God, they will call. They will have a language. They will have a voice of the Son. And the nations who do not know him will hear that call and they will run to the Lord because they'll see the glory of God in us. Amen. It's because of the Holy One of Israel. Not because of anything we've done, but the word of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is the word tabernacle dwelling within us. And so this is a hope. And I believe that Pentecost, and what we're about to see, I'm about to share, has a lot to do with this. So let's jump right into this. The third great awakening that's coming, also what I've called as Pentecost. So um, let me just share this prophetic experience that I had. It was, I believe, in 2001, September, and I was taken into a church that I knew was in the northeast part of the United States. I was in the New York, New Jersey corridor. So this church was in the New York, New Jersey, that northeast part of the U.S. And um, I was with a group of people, and in the dream, the people that I saw, I knew, and they were from different areas of, of cities and states up and down the east coast. Some were from Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. Some were from Delaware. Some were from Maryland. Some were down from the Carolinas. All right. And um, what happened was we were there. We were in fellowship. All of a sudden, the mighty rushing wind came in. It was a huge sound that just sent us to our knees and to our faces. It was one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had in the Lord. And all of us in this this experience, we dropped to our faces. We just fell down. We began to scream because of the fear of God that filled the the place we were in, this church that we were in. And uh, it was extremely frightening. I, I, I cannot give words to express the sound of the mighty rushing wind. And we just screamed. We were like, oh, oh. All we could do was scream because of the fear of the Lord. The presence of the fear of the Lord had entered in through the sound of this mighty rushing wind. But I, I did everything I could to look up. I opened my eyes. Either my eyes were shut and I had, I had a fist and I was shaking because of the presence of God. I opened my eyes and had an open vision. And I saw the face of God. I saw the ancient of days. He had this white hair with little specks of, of gray in it. And his, he had an elderly face, but not an old face, just an old, older, mature face of a man. And his hands were powerful. And there was an arm that was in front of him that was flexed like a bicep, a flexed bicep that was very powerful and strong. And the, there was wind that was blowing in through the hair of the Ancient of Days. And um, he bit, he literally gnashed his teeth and bit this arm. And then I closed my eyes again as the mighty rushing wind was still passing through us. And then it subsided. And we were all took us a minute to kind of get our composure. And one of the brothers that was in this experience was Steve Thompson. Now, Steve was with, with Morningstar Ministries and Rick Joyner at that point in time down in North Carolina, the Charlotte area. They're about to transfer, I think, over to Fort Mill, South Carolina. It might have been a little bit before that transfer. But you know they were in that Carolina, South Carolina area. And someone said, did you see the vision? So I knew I wasn't the only one that saw the vision. Other people saw it too. They said, what was that? And Steve Thompson said, it was the face of God biting the arm of Bashan. 
the face of God. Body. See, there's, there's a, what I'm prophesying to you is that we're coming into another Pentecost. And it's going to hit into the northeast part of the United States. There's a mighty rushing wind, just like at Pentecost, that's going to be experienced again in the northeast part of the U.S. This mighty rushing wind, I believe the people in the, 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 this vision represented those from the different areas. I believe it's going to hit in the northeast. I believe it's coming down through the east coast. And we're going to see why this is so geographically important because it ties in with Pentecost in the scriptures. It's going to come down the east coast and then it's going to move west. It's going to move west. And what it's going to do is that a part, because remember, we know a part, we prophesy in part. So I'm only giving you a part of what I've seen and what I know. And I'm going to give you some understanding here through the scriptures and tie it in to even our nation is that the face of God and the outpouring of this spirit is going to bite. He's going to gnash. He's going to bring a judgment against Bashan. But we need to know what Bashan is. And I do believe that this mighty rushing wind's coming in through the northeast. I believe it'll come in some point in time uh, that will work with this um, the, the Civil War, the Revolutionary War that I've been talking about. Because that's what we've seen historically. An outpouring of the Spirit, Revolutionary War. Fresh Awake, another Second Great Awakening, Civil War. Well, there is a Civil War, Revolutionary War that's coming together that we're now in. It's going to get much more intense. It'll go into martial laws, civil disobedience to a much greater degree than what we've experienced now and so forth. But there will also be, be accompanied with that an outpouring of Pentecost, a Third Great Awakening in our nation that will be Pentecost to us again. We're going to experience this again. It'll come into the Northeast. It'll work its way down the East Coast into the East Gates of many of the cities. And some of these regions and areas that it's going to hit in the East, there will be hubs, apostolic hubs that will be formed and, and, and forged by the Spirit of God. And I'll explain that here a little later. And then the move of God is going to go from east to the west, and it's going to move westwardly throughout our country. So this is what we need to know. What's the inter what is the face of God? The face of God, the word face is also the word presence. It's an interchangeable term. So the face of the ancient of days. When this happens, a part of this is going to be the fulfillment of Daniel 7, 21 and 7, 22. In Daniel 7, 21 and 22, it says that there was, a war, there was a horn. And this horn was waging war. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. It was waging war against the saints and overpowering them. Until the ancient of days took his seat. He takes his seat in the councils and the courts of heaven. We've got to get into the council and the courts of heaven. I, as I've been mentioning before, that's the Revelation 4.1. Behold, come up here. I will show you what must take place after these things. That's going into the council, the throne, the courts of heaven to hear what God has to say. To get his perspective on things, not man's, not the world's, not the spirit of this world, not the Antichrist. All right, But to get God's perspective in Christ on what he is saying concerning the times, concerning what's coming, concerning now. All right, so we've got to get into the courts of heaven. So the Ancient of Days takes his seat and says that he declares a judgment on behalf of the saints against the horn. So God declares a judgment because the horn is overpowering the saints. We're of little power like the Church of Philadelphia. We're moving in very little power right now, but that's because we don't have the person of God. So he's working and moving in our lives to mature us in character so we can handle the power but represent the person. He's not going to give one without the other. I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. 
He's going to give us a second chance, a second opportunity. It's both the power and the person of God. And that person of God involves the anointing of who Christ is. We have the gifts. We don't have the anointing. The anointing is the presence and the person that comes upon the gifts over and over and over again. Even my own house fellowship. And in other places, I'm hearing of brothers and sisters and saints that are going through things. Who have who constantly have been under attack. They've been in bondage to things. And they walk into the church. They get a word. We can move in gifts. But we don't have the power to see them set free. And they walk back out with the same illness. Same sicknesses. Same demonic oppression. We're missing something. We're lacking something. What we're lacking is the very presence of God. We're lacking the person of God. That comes through the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yokes. It's the anointing that begins to bring a judgment to some of these things. And what we're going to begin to see is that we're going to need both the power and the anointing. Yes, we need to function in our gifts, but we need the anointing, the accompaniment that brings the person of God. And that, that, that anointing comes through the seven spirits of God. Because uh, Jesus said, remember in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, 18, that he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me. And he went on to talk about the anointing was to preach the good news and to, to set free the captives and proclaim liberty and the day of the vengeance of our God. This is what is coming. But it's an anointing of both the power and the person of who God is. And it comes through the Spirit of the Lord and the other six spirits, the seven spirits of God that's resting upon a body of overcomers. And so we need to see and understand that the person, the face of God is coming to bite the arm of Bashan. The arm represents the power, the authority of Bashan. So what is Bashan? I mentioned to you last week that there was a book that I read called The Unseen Round by Dr. Michael Heiser. And it, it, it was very good. He talks about Bashan in this book, and he gave me some really good understanding of Bashan. I'm going to share it with you. We're going to see here one of the first times Bashan is mentioned is in Deuteronomy chapter 3. It says here in verse 1, Then we, then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, came out to meet us in battle at Idre. But the Lord said to me, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him just as you did to Sion, king of the Morites, who lived at Heshbon. I'm going to go down a little bit. It's speaking about this, this Og of Bashan and the land of Bashan. Listen to what it says in verse 4. We captured all his cities at that time. There were 60 cities in the region of Bashan. Bashan was a region or an area. There are 60 cities in that region, in that area of Bashan. And it goes on to say, which we did not take from them, 60 cities, all the region of Ergob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. It says it in verse 4. Verse 5, all these were cities fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many unwalled towns. So we begin to see that this is not just a physical, it's a physical representing the spiritual. There's gates, there's um, demonic structures that are set up by Og of Bashan, he's an enemy to the God of Israel. I'm going to go down to Deuteronomy 3.11. It says, For only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephraim. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. We know that the Rephraim and the Ammonites, that these were giants in the land. They were from the Nephilims. And the Nephilim were watchers who rebelled against God. So they're ruling over they're ruling over Bashan, this area, this region, and over a nation of people. Now I'm going to turn real quick. Bashan, just so you know, 
was a land that was, as I said, a land or region that was a northern region of the Transjordan area. Okay, and I'm going to turn here real quick to Joshua chapter 12, giving you just some quick understanding of what Bashan is, because you're going to see how pivotal it is when the face of God bites the arm of Bashan. So I'm going to move here real quick to uh, Joshua 12, 4 and 5. It says, And the territory of Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of Rephaim, who lived at Ashtaroth and at Edra. So it brings all of this area and all of this region together. It says, And ruled over Mount Hermon and Saleh and all Bashan, as far as the border of the Jesuits and half of Gilead, and as far as the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. So basically what it says is that we see that this king named Og was ruling over an area of Bashan, and there were giants, the Rephaim, and the, the Ammonites came out of this region, out of this area, and there were others as well. The name Bashan was also in some linguistic languages uh, named Bathan, or Bathon, B-A-T-H-A-N, and it literally means serpent. So Bashan, to many of the Israelites and to the Jews, knew that area, that region, to be the place of the serpent. So who was the serpent? Well, to them, it represented the serpent in the garden. It was the place of the dead. It was a realm of the dead. Bashan was a realm of the dead, or the, the place of the dead where the serpent was the lord of the dead. He, he, he ruled over this place. It was an underworld of the realm of the dead where the serpent was the lord over it. So Bashan was a place that was well known for principalities, powers, demonic spirits, demonic forces. And it was the place of the realm of the dead. So what we got, you go back to my vision, you get the face of God biting the arm of Bashan. And what we have here in this text that I just read in Joshua 12, 4 and 5, was that Mount Hermon was a mount that was upon the Mount of Bashan or the region of Bashan. There were 60 cities within this region. The northernmost part of, of Bashan was Mount Hermon. Now, I mentioned to you in the last podcast, when you talk about mountains, the mountains was a place where the councils and the courts of the gods took place. So it depended on the god that was over those nations or over those regions ruling where they felt that in the spiritual realm that they were taking courts or councils. So Mount Hermon was a high point in the region of Bashan. Now, as I had been going through and researching and studying some things several months ago, well, probably about the beginning of this year or at the end of last year, the Lord told me to go read First Enoch, that he was going to give some understanding to things. And I know Enoch, First Enoch, is not a part of canonized scriptures, but Enoch is quoted in the book of Jude. So I went and I, I read First Enoch. And first Enoch has a vision. And he has a vision where the watchers come down. And it's it's literally the picture that we get in the scriptures of Genesis chapter 6. Where the, the watchers angels come down and they cohabit with women that we see there in Genesis 6. In his vision, he was told by God. You can go look at this. It's in first Enoch. But he's told by God, it's uh, his chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, that it took place on Mount Hermon. So this place, Mount Hermon in Bashan, 
was a place where the rebellious lesser gods, these angelic beings, these living beings that rebelled against Yahweh, came and took up habitation with people. And so Bashan is known to the Israelites as this area of the dead, the realm of the dead or the place of the serpent. Isn't this interesting? And you, in, in my vision, you've got the very face of God biting the arm of Bashan. So what is he telling us? Well, in, in the ancient days, Bashan and Mount Hermon was um, an area or center of worship that was where they worshiped Pan. And we see Pan there in the book of Daniel. That's where we get the word panic from, the spirit of fear. This was also a place where they worshiped Zeus from that was considered to be Caesar Augustus. And so you get all these gods that were being worshipped on Mount Hermon, which is the place or the realm of the serpent, the realm of the dead. And one of the things that's very interesting is that this was the very place where the worship of Baal took, took off and took place. Where in the days of Elijah, where did he do it? There was the worship of Baal. Baal worship was taking place. There was a region of Bashan, and Baal worship came down from the Moabites and infected the Israelites. And so I mentioned to you in the last podcast how there's a worship of, of Baal taking place in our nation now. In future podcasts, I'm going to get more specific on that. But if you go back and you look into the internet, you will see there was a gateway of Baal that was set up in Governor's Park in New York in 2016. The day of the, the trials or the hearings against Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, a gate of Baal was set up in front of the Capitol building. And we know that the gates of Baal was Jezebel worship. Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal. And that's why we saw what was going on in the Kavanaugh hearings. Baal also had child sacrifices. That's why the hearings on Kavanaugh, that they were so against him, was the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of abortion, which was all part of an attitude and mindset of Baal worship that came against him. These are the powers and the principalities that are operating in our nation. See, this is why we the, the, the nations have been disinherited and have come under the powers and the authorities of these spirits. But there's, a, there's an outpouring, a third great awakening coming, and the face of God is going to bite the arm of Bashan. And so literally what it means is, it's literally Bashan is the place of the serpent. It's the underworld, the place of the dead, where the serpent is the Lord of the dead. It is literally the place known as the gates of hell. So I'm going to turn real quick to Matthew chapter 16, because we're going to see this in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 16, again, still talking about Bashan. People ask, who do, who do you say that I am? And they say that you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Peter says that, verse 17. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, if I go back to the beginning of this section, 
at verse 13, Matthew 16, 13, says that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi is the area of Bashan. Mount Hermon sits to the north of the city of Caesarea Philippi. Now, it was not called Caesarea Philippi back in Deuteronomy or in Judges 12, where it was the 60 cities. Names change, just like names change in our cities, in our regions and areas too. Names change. But the geographical location of this, Mount Hermon was sitting just above Caesarea Philippi. In other words, Caesarea Philippi is a city that is at the foot, the, the, the foothill, the bottom of Mount Hermon, which is a place that the king of Bashan and these rulers and these gods would take counsel and the people would worship. There was demonic worship and idolatry that was going on. So here's Jesus in the seat at the place, at the feet of this mountain in Caesarea Philippi, and he makes the declaration, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, the mountain was a huge rock. But he says, no, 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 no. You see this place? He's announcing to the principalities and the powers. He's announcing to the gates of hell, I'm going to build my church, and we're going to overthrow you. You will not conquer my church. See, the gates of hell, and we read earlier about Og of Bashan in Deuteronomy 3, there was this fortified cities. It was region with 60 cities that were fortified with gates and walls. A gate is a defensive strategy. It's not offensive. It's defensive. A gate is meant to keep people from coming in from the outside, or it's meant to imprison people who are already on the inside. And so the very gates of hell is meant to put people and contain them within slavery and to keep the true sons of God, those who are being empowered by the Holy Spirit, from coming from the outside, overthrowing the gates. But what does Jesus say? Uh -uh. Upon this rock, in this mountain location, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are going to overthrow it. See, he's not just talking He's talking about a conquest. It's a victory. It's ours. We're the aggressor. And right now we've been so timid that we haven't been the aggressor in this battle. Now part of it, I believe, is the timing of the Lord. I believe the Lord is taking many of us through trials and tribulations because without it, you can't enter into the kingdom. We even read here, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In that day, in the outpouring of the Spirit, that I believe that we're not far from. I don't have a timing on it. I don't know the timing. But I'm prophesying to you, when it comes, it's coming into the northeast. It's going to work its way down the east coast and spread from the east to the west. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The very presence and anointing, the power of God. He will declare. He will make a call. He will bring judgment against the little horn. Because in Jewish mysticism, in Jewish text, they believed that the Antichrist came out of Bashan, the region of Bashan. They believed it came out of the region of Bashan. 
Now, in future podcasts, I'm going to hit on this a little bit more. I'm not prophesying that to you. The present-day region of Bashan is Syria, Iran area, Iraq area. You can see what's boiling up in those areas. That would be a present-day aspect of it. But many, you know, the, the Jewish writers believed that that spirit that rose up against came out of Bashan, that's the place in the realm of the dead, is to oppose Yahweh and take the other nations and do war against the God of, of Yahweh and Israel. And you see the same battle that's taking place now. And I'm telling you that we've been in a place of slavery, all right, in bondage to these principalities and world rulers. But God is saying that's going to change. That you will call a nation which does not know you. And that nation which knows you not is going to run to you. And it's going to run because the Holy One of Israel. Let me tell you, friends, we're about ready to get some conquest. We're about ready to come with victory. We're not coming to get victory. We're coming from victory. The victory's already had. It's been won in Christ. And the gates of hell are going to be overthrown. Caesarea Philippi was at the very foot of this mountain. So Jesus wasn't just declaring that, that um, or he was declaring that, hey, this is a mount, this Mount Hermon representing Bashan, the realm of the dead and the gates of hell. But he's saying, hey, there's a rock. There's a new rock. And the revelation of this rock is, is myself. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. I am the son of the living God. And I'm here to overthrow these powers and these, these principalities and these demons. He was giving a geographical picture of it. And so when the face of God starts biting the arm of Bashan, when the outpouring of the Spirit, there's an authority and a power of the kingdom that we haven't touched yet, but we're going to enter into. Now, I want to take you real quick to Psalm 68, because this also ties in with Bashan, because it leads into the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. In uh, Psalm 68, Verse 15, it says, A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. So there's a picture here. There's two mounts. A mount of Bashan, which was really, literally Hermon. That was, Mount Hermon was in Bashan. But it, again, represents a high place of the courts and the councils of these gods, which could be lesser gods, these deities, these principalities and powers. And he says, you look at Mount Sinai, which was the mount that God had for Israel, that he ruled over. Now this scripture here, a mount of God is the mountain of Bashan. That gives us a phrase as if to think that both mountain of Bashan and the Mount Sinai, both God ruled over. And, and this literally is not the right text. The word here, a mountain of God, is literally a mountain of the gods. Not just a god or Yahweh, but it's a mountain of the gods. Which makes more sense if you're reading the text, because why would both be the mountain of God and one is looking at envy to the other and there's this incredible competition that's going on between these two mountains. And we know Bashan represents something that is the place of the dead, the realm of the dead, the place of the serpent. It's the, where the gates of hell, hells are. So it doesn't really fit. I, I believe that the text is that 
It's a place or a mountain of the gods. And it looks at envy at Mount Zion, or I'm sorry, Mount Sinai, which is the place of Yahweh's mountain, which belonged to Israel. Now, I'm going to read a little further. Verse 17, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Isn't this interesting? It says that you have ascended on high. You led captive your captives and received gifts among men. Where do we see that at? Paul uses this reference in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. So I'm turning to Ephesians 4. Verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He uses the exact same scripture verse Paul does. To reference Christ here. Verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lowest part of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. When Jesus died, he came back and he appeared to over 500. And then according to Acts chapter 1, he ascends into the heavens. And the angels say the same way that he ascended, he's going to come again. But he says, wait, for there's an outpouring coming. Wait for the Holy Spirit that's been promised. For it's coming not many days from now. We knew, or we know now, that there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was 50 days from that point. So 50 days, meaning Penta, Pentecost, that's when the mighty rushing wind came. What Jesus was saying was that upon his ascension, when he was ascending at Pentecost, he ascended. All right, he came into the earth and revealed. But now he's ascending, and he ascended. When he comes again, he's going to come back the same way that we saw him before, or that they saw him ascend before. But he leaves gifts for men. Well, what are the gifts? Well, it says so right here, Ephesians chapter 4, the gifts are, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. There's the fivefold. See, that's the apostolic. What I'm, I'm saying to you and prophesying to you is that when this mighty rushing wind and Pentecost comes and it hits, we're going to be empowered. And the power of God is going to come upon us apostolically. It'll come upon the government. It'll be the government of God coming upon the body so we can move in power and move in the person, the presence of Christ. There'll be an anointing with this that we will begin to see. Things will be happening simultaneously. One of those things is that we'll be empowered to begin to cast down spirits. We're being prepared now in our character to be able to handle the power that he's going to release in that day or in that time. I don't know when that is. That could be next week. It could be 25 years from now. It may come after I'm dead and I'm prophesying it now to the next generation. I don't have a timing on it. But I believe it's going to work in tandem with the civil war and the revolution we're in and our nation is going through because it's going to be the inheritance of the Lord. 
but we're going to need the outpouring of Pentecost in the very face and the presence of the Father, the Ancient of Days, resting upon the body of Christ in order to overthrow these, these demonic spirits and the principalities that had been waging war against us. All right? And a part of this, simultaneously, is that the Lord is going to anoint the fivefold apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This will be an apostolic hub. There will be apostolic hubs up and down the East Coast and in other parts of the country. Now, I believe I've seen where some of those hubs are going to be. I believe there's going to be a hub in the Albany, Schenectady, and Troy area. I believe there's going to be a hub in the uh, Philadelphia area. I believe there's going to be a hub in the Baltimore region. And the hub is literally like the hub of a tire. It's going to be in those regions. It may not be directly in the city, but the hub will be in that area or the region of some of these cities. And it will be like the spokes of a tire. It will reach out. It will expand out. There will be a hub in the Atlanta region or Atlanta area. There will be another apostolic hub. And these apostolic hubs will have equipping and the training of the fivefold taking place. This is why it's so important that the fathers, the sheriffs, begin to work together. We're going to begin to see it. Because when he ascended at Pentecost, he left the gifts to the men. And the, that, that, those gifts was the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It says so right here in verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. What were the gifts? They were a governmental gift. Those were the fivefold that's mentioned in Ephesians 4, 11 through 17. And we'll begin to see these hubs that will be training centers that will empower the people and send them out. Now, Pentecost. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Because <clears throat> there's some things. I said in the last podcast that Pentecost was an antithesis to Babel. Because Babel, the nations were dispersed and they were given their own languages and tongues. What happened in Acts chapter 2? You get the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It rests like tongues of fire upon them. Each one is hearing in his own language. But they're there in one accord. See, we're back to the unity that I mentioned before. See, it's important. We're coming into a unity. We're either coming into unity with the world and, and the principalities and the spirit of this world, or we're coming into unity with Christ and the body. All of us, whether you're a believer or not, you're coming into some unity. It's going to happen. And so as it rested upon them, see, God scattered the nations. Now he's bringing people who are Jews from different nations back together again in the upper room. That which was separated, divided, dispersed. All right, he now brings them back together and he begins to give them a language, a language of the spirit. See, there's a language of a son, a language that sons will speak that they will know that will begin to bring the people back together and will begin to call the nations. That which took place at Babel was the antithesis to what's going on at Pentecost. There was a dispersion at Babel where he confused the language, but at Pentecost, they come back under the rule of the Spirit. The language is the language of a son. It's the Spirit of God that begins to lead and guide the Son and rules the Son. And we see it restored at Pentecost. Now listen to what it says. 
I'm going to start at verse 6. And when they heard this sound, when the sound occurred, that was the mighty rushing wind, which is what I heard, remember, in my prophetic vision. And it's, I'll start at verse 5. It says, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. There they are, Jews, a race. In the Bible, there are two races, Jews and Gentiles. There's not black and white. All this stuff that's going on in our nation. It, look, if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you're of the Gentile race. In God's order in the scriptures, there's two races, Jew and Gentile. Now the ethnos, the ethnic groups, are the ones that are at battle and what's going on with one another. But they're of the same race. And what does he have here? He's got a group of Jews, but are from different nations. They're living in different regions and different nations of the world at this time. But they come together. They were dispersed. Now they're being brought back together. It's the antithesis to Babel. Why? Because he's taken the nations. When he, he begins, the beginning of the taking of the nations happens at Pentecost. The fulfillment, the end of it, will be when Jesus comes again. And he'll separate the sheep and the goat nations. Those sheep nations will be his inheritance in the millennium. That's the fulfillment of it. That's the consummation, if you want to say it that way, or the fullness thereof. So here, verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why? Are not all these here speaking Galileans? Verse 8, how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? See, they, they were speaking different languages, but yet they were all hearing in their own language. The Spirit of God was bringing them back into a oneness. And then it says in verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Serene, and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And there we have it. The nations were dispersed. The race, Jews, dispersed within the nations. But now they're being brought back together in one language. Friends, if you go through, and Dr. Michael Heiser does a wonderful job of explaining this. But if you, you go through and look at the regions of where these people came from, they're in verses 9, 10, and 11. When the outpouring of the Spirit hits in Galilee and it begins to move directly into each one of these regions, it moves from east to west. These are geographical areas where the Jews were coming from these different regions and nations. And then they were taking the spirit to these nations. And it was moving geographically from the east to the west. And what I'm, I'm prophesying to you is just what we see here in the scriptures and what the Lord showed me in that prophetic vision is that it's going to hit in the northeast corridor of the United States. You know, the largest populations are on our coastlands. Our government has been trying to squeeze people out and move them to the coast. And, and it, I don't have time to get into all that. I probably shouldn't have said that. But they've been buying up a lot of the land in the middle parts of the United States and calling it government land. 
They're, they're squeezing people. Most of the population are to the coastlands. When it hits in the northeast, it's going to work its way down the east coast. Still, and, and it's going to hit in the east region of some of these cities and some of these areas. I'm talking about the mighty rushing wind. And then it's going to spread from east to west. That's what I said at the very beginning of this podcast. And I said, I'm going to explain it to you. It's right here in Pentecost. It's right here in the scriptures. God is, the prophecies and the scriptures are being fulfilled in our time. We've got to get into the heavens and hear from the Lord and get to counsel the Lord on what he's saying. And what I'm saying to you is that a part of the inheritance is that we're going to be going into this great battle. It's a great war. This isn't for the, for the weak. And many of us are going through things right now that are very difficult. You're being prepared. If you're not going through something, I would be concerned. <laughs> because we're being training for reigning is what we're going through. And he's preparing us for this great battle. Both so we carry the person of Christ, the anointing of his very being in the person of who he is, as well as the power of God. So we're going to taste the good word of God and the power of the age to come. Pentecost is coming. Pentecost is going to happen. It's the third great awakening that's going to hit. It's going to hit in the northeast, spread down the east coast, and go out towards the west, just like we see in Pentecost, or here in Acts chapter 2. And what's going to happen during that time also is we're going to be empowered to begin to cast out demons like we haven't cast them out before. We're going to see like it was when Jesus sent the 70 out in two. Do you think it was a coincidence that he sent the 70 out in groups of twos? In Genesis chapter 10, there were 70 nations that were dispersed at Babylon. 70 nations were dispersed at Babel. Then he calls 70 to himself and he sends them out. And they come back going, man, even the demons are subjected to us. And he said, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is what we're going to see. At some point, there's a time that this is coming. And we're going to see the demons being cast out of the heavens and into the earth. And they will make an appearance before men. The scriptures speak of this in Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 9. It speaks of this. They're being cast down into the earth. Why? Because the sons of God will begin to see the glory of the Lord. We will be empowered by the power and the person, the presence of Christ. The ancient of days will make a call. He will stand up and he will declare in that hour, I'm now waging war. I'm making a judgment on behalf of my sons against the evil one, against the little horn that's been waging war. And we will enter in and possess the kingdom. That goes back to what the promise was to Peter upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower. He says he would give us the keys of the kingdom. Whatever we bound on earth will be bound in heaven. That's why you're going to see them falling down. They've been bound on earth because they've been bound in heaven. They've been loosed on earth, been loosed in heaven. We're going to bind and we're going to loose. We're going to be the aggressor in this. We're going to do warfare. It's going to be intense. There's going to be great persecution that comes with it. Great persecution will come with it in this battle. Some will be lost. Some will lose their lives for this because you don't go into war and have battles, which is just a part of wars, and not have casualties. Some are going to be persecuted and lose their lives. Some will be persecuted and will continue on. Some may not even see the day because the Lord is just going to remove you so you don't have to experience it. 
It's going to be different for each one. I don't know the hour of this, but I, I don't think we're far off. I believe I will see it in my times. As we go through some of the difficulties that we're going through, some of the battles, the struggles, it's all preparation so we can have the character to be trusted with this power and this authority that he's going to bring that is of his kingdom because it can't be just power without the person. And so here's a promise for you guys who are going through it. It's 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion, that means rule, authority, forever and ever. Amen. God himself, friend, after we've suffered and gone through for a little while, because without it we can't enter into the kingdom, I know many are going through testings and trials right now. We've got to go through them. Let's not complain. Let's give thanks. Let's do it with joyful heart. Because at the end of this thing, because it's just for a little while, God himself, in Christ, through his eternal glory, his promise will he himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you and I. According to his dominion forever and ever. I mean, that's a promise to hold on to because we're being prepared for this great outpouring. Now, I have more to say on this. Um, I, I will say that in closing, um, there's a second part to, to this experience that I'm going to start in my next podcast, my next episode. So I guess that would be episode five on the new epic. When I was coming back, there was an angel accompanying me as I was coming back from this experience. And the angel said to me on the way back, he said, Brian, a part of what you saw, again, he said, a part of what you saw. I'm going to turn here real, real quick. He says it's Acts 7.54 through 8.3. 7.54 through 8.3. He says, a part of what I saw. It wasn't the whole thing. I gave you some concerning the face of God biting the arm of Bashan, the gates of hell that will begin to be judged in that hour. And what all that means, okay? And keep in mind, the gates of hell are meant to keep people in slavery. That's the civil war. But there's a revolution that's coming by the sons of God that will begin to bring release, deliverance through the anointing of Christ. It will overthrow the spirit of the Antichrist that's operating in our nation through Baal and Jezebel worship. It's happening now. And it's going to get worse. It's going to intensify. Oh, I got so much more to share right now. It's running through my mind. <laughs> and I got to stop myself. So I'm going to finish with this. We're going to pick up in the next podcast on this next segment on why did he say a part of what I saw? A part of what I saw in the outpouring of Pentecost is going to be Acts 7:54 through 8:3. And as I close, I want to share this with you. I have it here, and I don't want to forget this. Lena Johnson, who comes to my house fellowship, she sent me some dreams last December, December of 2018. And her first dream was kind of long. I'm not going to get into all of it, but the interpretation was literally about these apostolic hubs that I had prophesied to you earlier that are coming, that will bring an empowerment and anointing 
of the government of God and the fivefold gifts um, that would be operating in these different areas and regions of the cities that I had mentioned. Her second dream says this, it's short, but it gives confirmation to what I'm prophesying to you about the third great awakening and outpouring. Listen to her dream number two. She said, I was walking past a row of houses, apartment buildings, and people. At first glance, it seemed as though the whole block was on fire and the people were burning. The city sent firefighters to put out the blaze and they were frantically working to put out the fire in the buildings. There were many people standing around in great distress as they watched the city burn. But I ventured to come close to the fire. As I came close to the people that were on fire, I realized that it wasn't that they were on fire, but that their heads had on top of them cloven tongues of fire. I approached one man and without words asked, If it was true, did he have the Holy Ghost? Let me ask you a question. Stop right there. This is me now speaking. How could you approach a person and without words ask them if they had the Holy Ghost? See, there's a language, a unity in spirit where we have the the language of a son. We can speak in spirit to one another and just know without using words. See, we're going to get into that that kind of unity in the spirit. You can only get that from the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get that from the Spirit of the world. That's got to come from the Holy Ghost. Well, you'll look at one another and you'll know. And won't have to use words. I approached, I'm going back to her dream. I approached one man without words, asked if it was true. Did he have the Holy Ghost? And the man and those around him stared at me, stunned at what was happening to them. Then he started to speak in tongues. He smiled through tears and realization, like he was finally alive. It was almost like they did not expect this. Then I grabbed him and hugged him and was crying too. It was like welcoming him into the family. I felt like I had been praying for these people, wanting them to be saved for quite some time. I also felt, she's still in the dream, I had the inner thought that this was the third reawakening of the Holy Spirit. This was just like Pentecost and Azuzu Street, but it was the third one. And there you have it. Friends, the Lord confirms his words, his prophetic words through two or three. And let me tell you, you know, I, I, you know, when I was there and I had experienced this, I knew this was coming. And I've heard other people say the third great awakening is coming as an outpouring of the Spirit. I heard Rick Joyner say it months ago that he felt like it was coming in the Northeast. Well, I tell you, I'm processing. It's coming in the Northeast. It's coming in that Northeast, that New York, New Jersey uh, you know, gateway, but it's coming into the Northeast and it's going to work its way down the East coast. And it's going to move West, just like it says and does in the scriptures, because this is now taking the gospel to the nations. This is bringing the nations back to God. It will be his inheritance, man. It's going to be a great day. It's a great battle. It's going to be a cost, but we have the victory. We're promised. It's a conquest. We will win. We will be victorious because of the Holy One of Israel. I look forward to the next podcast talking about Acts 7.54 through Acts 8.3. Thank you for listening. This is Brian Eichelberger on Eagle Eye Perspectives Podcast. Grace, grace to you and to your household.